another edition of Through the Smoke, a Miami Hurricanes football and recruiting podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. David Lake joined by Gabby Urrutia. We got another mailbag podcast here for you guys. Good off-season content when you don't really know what to talk about, so you just let the people tell you what to talk about. So wanted to thank our subscribers at Inside the U. Uh, for dropping these questions on the message board when we asked for them. And uh, let's get into it. I want to say on the front end, I, I'm kind of, I'm getting over like laryngitis. I think I'm good to go here for the podcast, but if my voice squeaks or Gabby has to like drone on and on, it's probably because I'm like coughing, <laughs> hit the cough button. Uh, but bear with us. I think I can make it through, but just wanted to be honest with you guys on the front end. But let's, uh, let's start here with the first question, Gabby. And this comes from Rebel Kane 78 uh, He asks, with all the transfers we have added on defense, along with a QB that's determined to be great, do you believe that we could be a version of last year's Michigan State that won 10 games out of nowhere or even a Michigan team that snuck into the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, I would probably lean closer to Michigan state. I'm not sure if this makes Miami a playoff team. I think, I mean, again, to be a playoff team, I think there's a lot that goes with that. I think that would mean that this team's good enough to beat Texas A&M on the road, that this team's good enough to beat Clemson on the road. And not saying that's impossible, but that's a, I feel like that's just a bigger ask from my perspective right now. Um, maybe, you know, maybe could I could see them being a, you know, New Year's six, New Year's, New Year's six bowl team, uh, potentially winning one of those types of games. I mean, yeah, the, the roster turnover is um, similar. I wouldn't say it's as big of a scale in terms of the amount of players that left and were added like Michigan, like Michigan, Michigan State had State. last year. I yeah. think this is maybe just a smaller version of that just because I think it was like 27 players left and like 18 players they added. Like it was just like complete full roster tono- turnover from, you know, all over. I don't think that there was a, I don't think we saw a ton of, you know, guys leave the program, at least maybe not in the amounts or the quantities that maybe we thought might have. So, um, I mean, I would probably lean closer to Michigan, Michigan state, uh, 2021, than maybe yeah. Michigan 2021. I think so the way I interpreted this question, and I re- I would agree with that. Um, if, if that's how we frame it, the way I interpreted this question is can like, or the way I want to answer it, I should say, uh, what is the ceiling of this Miami team, Gabby? Let's just say everything goes right, correct? Like that's basically, I think, what the question is. Everything went right for Michigan State in year one of Mel Tucker. They won 10 games out of nowhere. Like no one expected that. They won like two games a year before, so yeah. Right. And then Michigan, no one one saw them coming for college football playoff as a college football playoff team. So best case scenario for this Miami team, And again, I don't think either of us are predicting this at all. I'm not at least, but I could see like best, best, best case scenario. Everything goes right. Like if we're putting this in a Michigan state uh, lens, if we're viewing things through that lens, you know, Miami has a Heisman contender because last year they had a Heisman contender and Kenneth Walker, right? Um, 11, 11 wins in the regular season. I, do you think that's like if everything goes right and they maximize everything, this new coaching yeah. staff, 
they hit on their transfers. Maybe some of these young guys blossom. Uh, they get some good luck because good, you know, luck is certainly an element in winning some games. Injury luck uh, goes your way. Do you do you see eleven wins? I mean, yeah, I think if everything goes perfect, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I could definitely see eleven wins if again everything falls the right way. I mean, yeah, I mean, you're talking about luck. I mean, I think it would take. I think it would definitely take some luck. But um, yeah, I mean, again, if everything comes together the right way, wide receiver one emerges somewhere on the right. roster and defense plays lights out and, you know, maybe a couple all conference guys end up being on that defense. I mean, yeah, I could see 11 wins probably. So the specific season. the specific characteristics of what that would look like. Right. So you mentioned a number one receiver. What does that look like to you? Like, does that is that 800 yards? Is that a thousand yards? Like, what does that need to be? for this team to get to 11 wins. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think asking anything crazy. I mean, again, like an eight, maybe like an 800, 850 type of guy. I think that, you know, maybe that's not going to put you in the upper echelon of, you know, wide receivers nationally, but I think that gives you a wide receiver that that's better than most in any given year that Miami's had recently. I mean, outside of Charleston Rambo, I mean, Right. I, I, I mean, I feel like KJ Osborne was like, I mean, I feel like I sort of considered him like a wide receiver one. What did he finish with? But like, wasn't he like Six in the something. Yeah. Like six fifty. Like I think if you can get something even a little bit bigger than that, just with Tyler Van Dyke and the quality of quarterback that he is, I think if you can get something, you know, throw 200, 250 yards on top of that, I think that's a, I think that is what I would categorize as all right. Miami has a number one receiver. Yeah. And I think of course this goes without saying, right. Tyler Van Dyke has to be, kind of what we expect him to be, which exactly. is probably the most probable thing we can expect in terms of like the ceiling, right? I don't think Tyler Van Dyke's going to be an issue uh, this year when it comes to Miami trying to fulfill its potential or its ceiling. Um, what about the run game? Like to me, if, if it's an 11 win team, there's got to be a thousand yard rusher. And, and if you look at like Mario Cristobal at Oregon, Every year, every full season they played, so not the COVID year where the Pac-12 played like seven games or something, but every other season he was the head coach there. They had a thousand-yard rusher. Um, do you think they have that on this team? Because I could see it. I I think, I think the run blocking is going to be better. I I don't think it's going to be dominant, but I think it's going to be better. Um, I think, honestly, for me, what it comes down to is health. Can, hit, can Henry Parrish handle the load or can Jalen Knighton handle the load uh, if that if they decide to go that direction? Because they're both guys that are under 200 pounds. Um, but I think if they stay healthy, one of those guys is going to hit 1,000. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like that's a, that's a tough sell for me to, okay. to just say that 1,000 yards. I mean, what was, what was the last time? Or, or, I mean, it was probably Duke Johnson that ran for 1,000. I mean, I remember um, even – Walton. Mark Walton ran for a thousand. I mean, I feel like even when Lashley came in, we started thinking about like that being a possibility, even with like Cameron Harris and maybe some of these other yeah. guys. Cause like he had, Exa I think it was Xavier Jones over there that just put up ridiculous numbers in that SMU offense. And we were like, Hey, you know what? Maybe one of these guys can finally eclipse that thousand yard mark. We didn't see it under Rhett Lashley. And yeah, I see the trend with Mario Cristobal, but I don't know, man. I feel like it could be some sort of combination of a lot of mouths to feed and just maybe just not really ha truly having that that thousand yard type of back. I would love to see it. I mean, I'm not saying it's impossible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I could see Henry Parrish being that type, maybe Jalen Knighton being like even like an a thousand, like maybe all purpose type. I don't know. Just yeah. uh, uh, but I'm not sure if I see the, the thousand yard rusher here. And they could split the carries up too. 
They yeah. certainly have three guys, maybe even four guys that they could just split the carries up. So maybe it's a little unrealistic. But I think if they are going to win 11 games, I do think that's kind of like if you look at like 11, 11 wins type teams are typically in the mix for the college football playoff. Right. Yeah. If you look at most of these teams that make the college football playoff over the year, like 90 percent of them have thousand yard rushers. So it's kind of a prerequisite, uh, I would say, even more so than the stud quarterback. Um to win that amount of games. Um, you know, we mentioned they got to avoid serious injuries defensively. You know, you, I think this kind of goes without saying, and I think it's probable because it can't get much worse. The tackling has to improve. Right. Um, I think one of at least one of Mitchell Agude or Jafari Harvey has to be an impactful rusher. I would, I would put it at the eight sack number. Do you think that's like, I'm saying if they get to 11 yeah. wins. Oh, for sure. Okay. Um, and then, you know, I think a playmaking element on the back end of the defense has to emerge. Right. Um, and I do think that's possible with James Williams, Avante Williams, Cam Kitchens. These are all yeah. uh, talented guys. I even think like Tyreek Stevenson, right. He, uh, he needs to finish on his pick opportunities because last year he dropped a few picks that frankly hit him right in the hands. So, yeah. you know, turnovers are random. I get it, but I do think very talented players can go out and make plays. Um, and of course in college football, those momentum shifts are huge. So that's what it would have to look like. I think just broad stroke it, you know, I think the ceiling's 11-ish wins. Again, that's probably, that's not where I'm at right now. That's not what I would predict. But I do think it's possible if everything goes their way and, uh, you know, they get some breaks. Similar to, like, the question was stating Michigan State and Michigan, what happened with them last year in 2021. So, um, you know, that's what makes college football so great to see how it all plays out. Um, because more times than not, let's be real, what we think about a team in the preseason doesn't come close to what ends up yeah, happening. That happens every year, right? <laughs> yeah. Next question. Uh, Coach Jay Kaz, 425. He asks, did you expect us to have more? Do you expect us to have more blue chip recruits at this time when Mario Cristobal first took over? And if Miami finishes around eight and four or nine and three mark. Um, like you think, where do you think that leaves us in the recruiting ranking? So basically he's asking as things stand now, what may, what is the date? May 9th, May yeah. 10th. Um, you know, Miami doesn't really have any blue chip guys. And to me, blue chip is like, I'll say top one fifty. Miami doesn't really have any top 150 guys committed. Um, it's May, so there is a long ways to go. I think we forget in the offseason, recruiting's a marathon, not a sprint. Um, so let's start with that part of the question first, Gabby. Um, are you surprised at this point May in May that Miami doesn't have any quote-unquote blue chips committed? Yeah. I mean, I guess Robbie Washington, I guess probably has the, the blue chip argument, but still, I honestly, 
I honestly probably would have expected more at this point. Um, I okay. kind of thought it was going to get going. Maybe, I mean, maybe not to like a crazy extent. And I kind of, you know, you look around at some of like the other major college football programs like Alabama, um, you know, even like Ohio State and some of those. I mean, it's not like all these schools have like a ton of guys committed either. Um, I just kind of thought maybe like new staff, uh, you know, Mario Cristobal kind of coming back home to Miami. All that stuff. I thought maybe at least maybe even locally, some of these like guys like let's say a Ruben Bain or let's say a Jalen Brown or something like that, that maybe some of those types of guys would have hopped on board earlier to get this thing rolling. Um, again, not saying that it's a problem that they haven't or that I'm worried because they haven't, but I just thought that there was a chance that, you know, it was possible that, you know, they could have gotten a couple guys to be like, Hey, let's kick this thing off. Like, you know, you guys go ahead and be the, the leaders of this class. And I know that they've tried. And so, you know, maybe I'm a little bit surprised that, you know, the numbers are still where they're at right now, but it's not something I'm overly concerned about. No, no, I'm, I'm not. You I'm mentioned, not so you mentioned Jalen and Ruben, right? Um, is it fair to say though, Miami's in a very good spot right now with those two guys? Yeah, definitely. And that's why that's why I'm not panicking. I just think that like, you know, sitting here on May again, May 8th, that say, you know, just kind of looking and, and seeing five commits, you know, the like the quality of commits, not saying that there it's a bad class or that there isn't like, you know, some star power in there with a guy like Robbie Washington. But, um, you know, I'm I just kind of like I was maybe just hoping that a couple of these other guys would sort of hop on board, but I, I think Miami's in a really good spot with each one of those. And, uh, you know, I would probably pencil those guys into the class right now. I just think maybe there was that hope on my end that maybe that's my fault for thinking that, you know, maybe a couple guys, and again, this is just early perception of just like, Hey, by maybe by May, they would have X amount of guys on board. So, but yeah, I'm not panicking. I'm not too worried about it. How much do you think we need to shift the way we view Miami recruiting now with Mario Cristobal in charge? Um, from the standpoint of this staff, Mario Cristobal is going to go big game hunting, right? Yeah. And I think, I think when you do that, that means you got to be a little more patient. Cause I think, you know, these, these guys that rank in the top 50, typically they don't make early, early, early commitments. That's, that's pretty rare. Typically the earliest, those type of guys commit is like, maybe June, but mostly like July is like the earliest. Yeah. A lot of these guys go through the whole cycle um, or wait until the fall to commit. Um, how much do you think that, you know, we just like, cause you know, prior to Manny trying to change that narrative of decommit you, right. We had seen where Miami was taking on all these commitments early on. Like there was a lot of years, um, the past decade where Miami would have a top five recruiting class in the country on May 8th yeah. and ended up with a class that didn't rank inside the top 15. Um, so how much do you think just in general, you got to be more patient when you chase top 50 slash five-star type guys? Yeah. And I think that's what we're sort of seeing here, right? Like you're looking at like the quality of guys that they're going after. And it all seems like they, or at least most of them feel like it feels like they fall into that, you know, top 150 threshold, definitely, you know, inside that, that top two, four, seven, um, you know, that we have over here. And, you know, I think that that plays a huge part of it. I mean, you kind of talking to guys right now and the conversation kind of goes, all right. So, you know, who's getting, who, who's getting those five official visits and are you taking those official visits in June? And, you know, a lot of these kids are working on June official visits 
visits. And, you know, after they take those big trips, um, you know, I think that that's a chance that I think after that is when you're going to start seeing guys maybe start to pull the trigger, you know, some of these blue chip guys, I mean, you're seeing a lot of highly ranked kids that are all, you know, starting to map out these summer official visits. And typically that'll, when they're doing multiple in June, uh, those will lead to July commitments and people forget too, that June is a big, is a big month for camps also where people will host guys on campus and, uh, right. you know, they'll be able to, to work certain guys out. I mean, that happened, you know, with Miami working out guys last, uh, last June that ended up, you know, working out for other schools and then committing to those schools. We saw it with like Sherrod Koval with Jacor with, um, what's this guy's name? Jacory, Jacory Thomas, who ended up going to, right. to Georgia, like Miami worked both those guys out. We're honestly feeling all right about them. And they went and worked out at other schools too, ended up giving those guys their commitment. So, you know, um, I feel like that, you know, mid to late June, uh, you know, early July ish. Yeah, there's, there's still plenty of time. And so with these blue chip type of guys, it's just you got to take that more patient approach. And people also forget, too, it hasn't even been a full year of in-person recruiting. So people definitely want to be able to take their visits, take those official visits and sort of make sure that they're making the right decisions. I look at the top target page, right, which you organize it, you know, at the at the top recruit, top target section of that page. Um, I think there's like maybe 10 to 12 top 50 guys um that rank there that miami's definitely in the mix with now they're not going to land all 12 but if they land four of those guys that's four game changers right, right. And, and that's what college football is about how many of these game changers guys that can change the scoreboard do you have on your roster if you're stacking four of those type of guys per cycle you have 12 to 16 of those guys on your football field, right. On your team. Yeah. Um, so you gotta be patient. It's not a light switch flip on the recruiting floodgates open type of deal. I also think too, you know, uh, Miami, there's, a, there's a, it, it, Miami's like the new kid on the block in some ways. Right. So, um, if we're being real, like I know Miami, I know what they are when they're elite. Gabby, you kind of do, at least you're not as young as these high school guys, right? So these high school guys haven't really seen Miami be a force um, on the college football field. So um, there's, there's a bit of a selling element too that still needs to take place in terms of on-field results. Um, next, the other part of his question was, if Miami finishes around eight and four or nine and three, and, and let's, let's put it at nine and three, right? So if Miami finishes with a nine and three record, um, what do you think that means for Miami's recruiting rankings? I, I'll, I'll answer first. I think, yeah. I think if Miami goes nine and three, I think they're, they're getting a top 10 class and on both those counts, I think that's a very, very good year. Yeah. I mean, nine and three is, again, I think that that's potentially good enough to get you to, to the AC championship game. And I think Miami just being represented in that game could be just so big for recruiting. Um, I, I just think it's time I, and for Martin, for Miami to take that step in Mario Cristobal's first year, I think is a clear indication of the, the way that the program is sort of trending. I think that's, I think that's just like tangible improvement. I think that's something that you could easily sell that, Hey, look, we are, this close to an ACC championship game. I mean, who knows? They even win that. Game. I don't know, but like just, even just getting to that game. Think? I think so. I think that I think that would put Miami into that category where they could be like, all right, like you, like Mario Cristobal can recruit and not have that sort of you know thing ling lingering over his shoulder, like oh, I want to see how Miami performs. I think that 
allows my, Mar- Mario Cristobal to be Mario Cristobal, the recruiter, and, uh, you know, kind of get this thing rolling for sure. I could see a top 10 class with a nine and three finish. See Perry Co. asks kind of a, kind of a similar question, uh, but we'll, we'll do it anyways. Do you, do you two feel, still feel Miami finishes top 10 in recruiting with the current standing with Miami's top targets? With you two guessing Miami ends nine and three, do you think that's enough for us to land some of the top recruits on the board? Yes, I, I still feel like Miami finishes with the top 10 class right now. Um, and yes, nine and three, I think definitely accomplishes that. Yeah, I mean, I think we just touched on it a yeah. little bit. Yeah, I, I feel the same. Brandon2020 asks, what's the real scoop on our QB search? Are we falling out of the race for Dante Moore and uh, Jaden Rashada? And is it due to the ridiculous name, image, and likeness asking prices? So, um, yeah, I mean, this is the ups and downs of recruiting, right? And now that NIL is a factor in recruiting, um, I think it's fair to say, Gabby, there there might be some sticker shock happening after Nico Iamalavea set the market, right? Committed to Tennessee. It was widely reported their collective uh, guaranteed him basically 2 million per year over four years. Um, and so, yeah, I, you know, I don't think that's just Miami. I think it's around the country. Uh, once that word gets out, like Jaden Rashada, he kind of sets his market now at 2 million, right? That's just the way, uh, capitalism and and the world works. (laughs) Um, so I'll, I'll say this. I don't think it's over. I don't think it's over, over for like, Dante Moore, Jaden Rashada. I think this is just the ups and downs of recruiting. We'll see how it shakes out during the summer. Um, and I think this is just like the next evolution of recruiting. And, uh, you know, elite quarterbacks are going to command big money. They already did. Now it's just out in the open, out in the light. And uh, we'll see if, you know, Miami wants to play that game. I think so far for guys that they really want, they are willing to play that game and I'm not willing to say that's over, over yet. So you answer it how you want to answer it. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of just, I mean, just kind of, I mean, on along the same lines, I'm, I'm still kind of just in wait and see mode because yeah, I mean, with these, with this NIL thing that you sort of have to factor into all these situations, like I feel like a guy like Jaden Rashada, like I feel like his recruitment's already taken a few twists and turns, even as recently as Miami getting involved, you know, we're all Miami suddenly in the mix now for Jaden Rashada. Um, then you see the Arkansas and the Ole Miss and now it's A&M involved. And then LS, then he pulls up to LSU and LSU gets a surprise visit. And so, you know, I don't think that the Jaden Rashada, the, the deal is, is close to really finishing up. Um, you know, I think that there's still plenty of time to, to go here. I think there's still potentially a few twists and turns and who knows if one of those twists and turns is Miami sort of getting back in the mix. And, you know, apparently, you know, I know out West, they reported that he's going to drop a, a top group soon. And, you know, Greg Biggins said he expects Miami to sort of be in it, despite the fact that he doesn't, he feels like they're slipping a little bit. I mean, if Miami decides that Jaden Rashada is the guy that they want and they're willing to, you know, play the game again with, all this NIL stuff, then, you know, I could definitely see Miami, you know, like working back into it, Dante Moore. I mean, I feel like similar situations, similar suitors. So, um, you know, I think Dante Moore is a, is a similar situation. Also, I just think this is, this is the way it's going to go right now. Those are the two of the like hottest quarterbacks on the market right now, Uh, especially with a guy like Eli Holstein, you know, quarter sort of trending towards Alabama. I mean, Dante Moore and uh, 
Jaden Rashad of Arch are, Manning. They're the yeah, top okay, two, outside, yeah, right? outside of Arch Manning, which is going to be it's which is its own little right. other side, you know, show and it's in its own in its own right. But uh, you know, these guys are are trying to make the most off their opportunities. I don't think anyone can absolutely. Them. Yeah, so we'll see. Um, you know, I if in my opinion, if there was a guy to make a deal happen, it would be Jaden Rashada. For sure. Oh, but obviously these decisions are not up to me. Um, United Kingdom asks, staying on the quarterbacks, um, would landing an unknown quarterback like Emery Williams, so we'll get into him, Gabby, but Emery yeah. Williams hurt our chances on landing an elite wide receiver hall? Or do you think our passing production on the field this year, so I think he's referring to Tyler Van Dyke, right, putting up big numbers yeah. potentially, um, would that be more important to selling elite wide receivers? So first let's talk about Emery Williams. Um, Cause he might be a, a kind of a new name to listeners of the podcast, but he's a guy that Miami's offered. He's from what the panhandle area, yeah. kind of a lower ranked guy, but what, tell us about Emery Williams, maybe what, what we need to know about him. Yeah. I mean, big, big kid, uh, you know, six, four and a half, 190 pounds, Miami, one of those big uh, spring evaluation offers where Frank Ponce got to watch him throw and they decided to pull the trigger on the offer there. They had been sort of evaluating him kind of caught me. I think kind of caught everyone by surprise. Uh, Not a guy that has a ton of offers. I think he has Pittsburgh, Indiana. Those are the two power five schools. I think he's heavily considering. Um, So Miami being thrust into the mix there was a, was was new and it was a I feel like it was a pretty big deal in, in terms of just so, them sort yeah. of expanding their board um he's gonna visit I believe this yeah it's this coming weekend that Emory Williams is gonna visit so I think it'll be a chance for him to or for Miami to really you know see him you know everyone sort of see him size him up and you know all all those fun things and and sort of see what happens there I think the kicker here is that you know he told me a decision could be coming pretty soon like you know after his spring game I think he said that's May 21st or something like that um so it's, I think it's going to be kind of crunch time. Like, is my, is this a kid Miami's willing to take? Is this someone that they truly want to add to the class? And, um, you know, even with some of these other contenders, just that we've talked about quarterbacks and, you know, Jaden Rashada, uh, Dante Moore, those types. Uh, I mean, Arkansas is still pushing for Jaden Rashada. They have a commitment from Malachi Singleton. Right. Uh, Ole Miss is still pushing for Jaden Rashada. They have a commitment from Marcel Reed out of Nashville. So I think let's say, you know, not saying that this is happening, but just in this situation, if two Miami, quarterbacks are kind yeah. of common for a first full recruiting class of any new coach, quite frankly. Right. And I think that that's something I'm not saying that that's definitely what's happening right. here, but I do think it's something that could potentially be possible if Miami wanted to let's move, go ahead and move forward with an Emory Williams type, but also let Jaden Rashad and Dante Moore know like, Hey, you still have a spot here. If it is that you really want, if you really want one, but they, you also have to kind of get your guy too. I think you need to get a quarterback. So the question is right uh landing let's say emory williams is the only quarterback in this class right does that hurt miami's chances at landing an elite wide receiver hall i would say yes um just keeping it real um you know elite wide receivers want to play with elite quarterbacks right and so you know look i don't think it necessarily hurts with a guy like a jalen brown i don't think you know it hurts with like maybe maybe even like a nathaniel joseph um, or maybe even an Andy Gene, but I do think it would hurt like 
closing on like a Hakeem Williams type or, yeah. or I, I think it, I don't think it keeps you in the Brandon Ennis game. Right. Um, whereas if Jaden Rashada is your quarterback, I think everyone's on the table. So that's, that's how I'm answering this question. Right. Like I'm not saying landing an Emory Williams scares guys off. Um, but if you, if your quarterback is Jaden Rashada and it's a guy everyone knows is a baller, um, that makes your, that makes you way more attractive to the elite of the elite wide receivers, obviously. Yeah. I think that's a good way to put it. Like, I, I don't know if Emory Williams like necessarily puts you in a worse spot with some of those guys, but he doesn't put you in a better spot with anyone either. I don't think he, I don't think he makes again, some of these top guys really look at Miami and they're like, Oh, you know what? They got this big arm in the class. Like, again, that's what Jaden Rashada is. That's what potentially Dante Moore is. Um, but I still think that they could have a pretty solid yes. receiver class despite this like you know regardless of who the quarterback not is. even solid a good class yeah no yeah what. exactly because you start but robbie washington special exactly that's where you got to get the quarterback too right and i think i do think miami will still sell the fact on you know you'll have jake garcia yes. uh next year tyler deal. van dyke goes and you know i think jake garcia has his own little you know sort of respect that i think recruits know about him and all that stuff and i even think jakari brown is you know someone that i think that could be potentially interesting too so i think they could sell the quarterback situation Absolutely. as a whole instead of maybe just saying this will be your quarterback emory williams like here you go this is what right. you got like it or leave it so um you know i do think that like you know again i don't know if it necessarily pushes anyone towards miami but i don't think it's going to necessarily pull anyone away from them either Hurricane Maine 25 asks, what's the, what's the backstory on Mark Fletcher? So he's the four-star running back out of American Heritage Plantation, recently committed to Ohio State. Is he a kid we just got beat out on? Or did the new staff not view him like the previous staff? My impression, Gabby, is he just ended up going to Ohio State. I don't think, I think this new staff wanted him. Um, so I think it's just, I mean, it's not like they lost to a slouch program. Right. Ohio State's big time. Uh, they zeroed in on him. And he might, I mean, Mark Fletcher might be their premier running back. Whereas I think at Miami, it became pretty clear, like Cedric Baxter was their like number one target. Um, and, you know, we'll see if that ends up happening. I think Miami's in a good spot with Cedric Baxter. Um, but Mark Fletcher was like, number two right so um he went to ohio state yeah i mean I, I could definitely see a little bit of both like i think for again let's say just for the last half like mark fletcher was probably running back one you know maybe and for this staff not that they didn't like him uh you know right. i don't think that they disliked mark fletcher at all you know i think you know i think it's very much the opposite i think they really liked mark fletcher and i think they would have really liked to pair mark fletcher with a cedric baxter type i think that's just ultimately the difference and i think you have just have to consider fit here too i think mark fletcher is a very yeah pr like promising big 10 running back just considered the way you know people run the ball in that in that league and the way ohio state uses some of those bigger backs and and you know find success with them like i think mark fletcher is a is, is sort of built for, you know, the destination he's headed to in Ohio state. And I think he's going to have a lot of success there. I just think Miami's looking to do something maybe a little bit different on offense where maybe he wouldn't have been considered the feature guy because the ACC, the way the ACC plays the ball and the way, you know, things go down in the big 10 are just a little bit different. So, um, you know, that's probably the best way that I could answer that. I do know that Miami really liked Mark Fletcher and they would have loved to have had him in the class.
Canada Cane 2020. I am inquiring about three individuals who are on the roster. So many internet rumors. I would like to know the real story. All are supremely talented. So he's asking about Sam Brooks, linebacker, uh, Isaiah Walker, the offensive tackle, and Tyler Johnson, the linebacker. Um, I guess just his stat, their statuses, right? And, you know, look, this is, this is hard stuff to talk about when we can't get 100% total, straightforward confirmation on those situations. So we'll talk about it as best as we can, I guess. Um, you know, I would, I would phrase it like this. I'd be surprised if Isaiah Walker uh, returns to Miami ever. Um, I would say that's followed next by Sam Brooks, though there's probably a, a chance he comes back. And then I would say Tyler Johnson of those three has the best chance to come back. And, you know, this is all just a mix of, um, you know, off-field stuff, injuries, health, um, and, you know, quite frankly, just uh, change in coaching regimes. So, um, unfortunately, this happens in college football. Uh, wish them the best no matter what happens, whether, you know, they move on or, or come back to Miami. I'd, I'd love for all those guys to come back to Miami and make it work. Um, but right now, I think it's, I think it's up in the air-ish for two of them, uh, being Sam Brooks and Tyler. But I don't know if I expect Isaiah Walker back at Miami. Do you have anything to add there? Yeah, I mean, just kind of reiterate, reiterate, I don't, I just, I wouldn't expect much from, from Isaiah Walker and just what you said about Sam Brooks and Tyler Johnson. So wish them the best, whatever happens in their futures. Um, so yeah, next question. Kane Cowboys uh, wants to know about defensive line, just what it might look like. So got many parts to his question. So first part, do you think the starting rotation at defensive line could be, or sorry, should be strong side defensive end, Akeem Mesidor, who's the West Virginia transfer, weak side defensive end, uh, rotation between Harvey, Jafari Harvey and Mitchell Agude, starting defensive tackle, Leonard Taylor, and starting defensive tackle, Daryl Jackson. Do I, I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, I could say no. Yeah, I would say probably not. I, I, think, I, I don't know if I can shake thing, it out that way. Here's one thing that makes this a hard conversation. I think, I think there's going to be multiple fronts in this Kevin Steele yeah. defense, right? So I think there's going to be four, three looks where Agude and Harvey are the two defensive ends. And I think there's going to be three, four looks where, yeah, Akeem Mesador is probably a right. defensive end then, right? And then Harvey and Agude are like stand-up edge rushers. Um, so I think there's going to be multiple fronts uh, that we're going to see Kevin Steele install this year. Um, so, and I would push back honestly on Daryl Jackson Same. as a starting defensive tackle. Um, I'm a big fan as everyone knows, but I don't know if he's like there yet right now to pencil in as like a day one starter. Right. I think, you know, Miami still has like a Jordan Miller. I think Jake Lichtenstein. Right. That's who I, that's who I kind of thought solid, uh, Jared Harrison hunt still, still is a guy that's talented. I think Elijah Roberts is a guy that they're excited about too. Right. Um, 
So the second part of the question is, I fear Leonard Taylor and Mesador, if they're both starting defensive tackles, we may be too small. I'd love a package on third down where they, they are, where they are the primary defensive tackles, but on first and second down, you know, those running downs, we got to have Jackson at defensive tackle. So I would probably agree with his sentiment. Um, I would just, for now, I would, I would pencil in Jake Lichtenstein ahead of Daryl Jackson. I think, I think Jordan Miller was getting some first team reps too, right. As that run stuffing defensive tackle. So um, I think here's the bottom line with the transfer additions on the defensive line. They got a lot of pieces to mix and match. Right. right. Um, and I think they're going to do that. I think they did that at Oregon. Um, Akeem Mesador is a guy that can play both on the edge a little bit and on the inside. Um, and that kind of goes into the next question. Can I get your thoughts on Mesador playing strong side defensive end? Can he get it done there? So, you know, I think he can't get it done there. Um, it's gotta be the right situations. You look at, so the advance, the pro football focus snap counts last year, 21% of his snaps were at defensive end last year. Um, in his final two games of the season, uh, he played 55% of his snaps at defensive end. So I wonder why that is, if they had some injuries or something with their starting edge guys and kicked him outside more so there in those final two games. Um, but in those two games, he generated four pressures and one sack. Um, so I do think, and I've talked to about um, how at Oregon, they have Brandon Doralis, who's a right. similar body type, similar skill set. Mesador is probably a little twitchier, um, but a guy that can kick it outside and play inside. I think Doralis's uh, breakdown was like maybe 65% inside, 35% on the edge. Maybe that's what they're going to do with Mesador too, right? Um, so yeah, I mean, I think he can get it done. And I agree though. And, and this is the point with having different options you can put them in different spots for different situations. So yeah, um, on your third down pass rush packages, you don't want to keep Mesador on the edge, obviously. You want him inside. Um, so yeah, I think what you're saying is fair. Um, I'm not like predicting it because I want to see it. Um, but yeah, they have a lot of options on the defensive line and that's the point. That's why they went right. out and, and got all these guys because do they have a star on the defensive line? I think Akeem Mesador might be. I think Leonard Taylor potentially could be. But what they do have is really good depth uh, on the defensive line. And so they're going to try and overwhelm you and mix and match, putting guys at different spots and, and find some matchups. Anything you want to add? Yeah, I mean, I just – that's why they did all this, right? I mean, I think you want to have – I think you want to put yourself in a position that you have all these pieces that you can move around, all these guys that could fit certain spots for certain situations. I mean, I think that's why you go out and get five defensive linemen in the transfer portal on top of what you already have. Uh, didn't really lose a defensive lineman, you know, at least not a notable one. 
Um, so I think you just kind of mix in those guys with what's already on the roster. And, you know, again, I think just it gives you the flexibility to move Mesador around and add other guys into the mix there. I think you have to feel good about some of the other pieces that are in there as well. So, I mean, I think you just got to feel good about the flexibility of this defensive line and all the different looks that you can get. I feel like that's why it's so hard to predict. Like when you say, do you think this should be the starting rotation? Like, I mean, the starting rotation could change like three snaps into the game. You know, like it's not going to be a set as the main. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It it doesn't feel like it's ever going to be like, truly set as to what it is and and when it when the game i think by the time you know the clock strikes zero in the fourth like the snap counts to me are going to be like very interesting to see how it plays out because there could be guys that aren't starting that are playing like similar or more snaps than maybe someone that didn't quote unquote start so i think that's why you go out and i think that's why this depth and you know what they brought into this defensive line is so important kane's chief asks what is the biggest off-season focus for the program and how should we grade it as a success or not at the end? Uh, so, you know, I don't know if I have anything like a great answer for this, but I just think, quite frankly, uh, it's get the guys that were out of healthy spring out, right? healthy. So, you know, and I think most of them are trending that way uh, very soon here should be fully cleared. But you go back and look at that injured list, Gabby, it's like 10 guys at least. Yeah, that's are like two deep guys, right? Mm-hmm. So that's a big boost to the depth. And then, you know, along those similar lines, it's nothing different, honestly, than every other program. It's, it's the strength and conditioning program, right? Um, now I do think Miami's strength and conditioning program is in the best spot it's been for the past 15 years or so. Um, Aaron Feltz, one of the best in the country and his staff is ridiculously good too. his, his assistants. Um, and you know, the Mario Cristobal style that he wants uh, is, is, you know, they're going to be developing functional football power and strength. Big emphasis was, was on that prior to spring ball. Um, and they're going to continue that here in the summer. And the hope is that, you know, that translates into physicality, uh, you know, like in the run blocking phase on offense and then obviously on defense with tackling, et cetera, et cetera. So just a big, physical, stronger team, I think, is the long-term vision for the Mario Cristobal uh, team. Think like an SEC type of team, right? Um, that stereotypical SEC type of team. So um, that doesn't happen in one offseason. So what makes it successful? You know, I think we'll see during the course of the season just how, you know, is this team banged up? Uh how well do they finish off fourth quarters, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, but to me, strength and conditioning, you can't judge it in just one year. It's got to be a multiple year type of uh, developmental thing. So, but I do feel good about where things are at with that phase of the program. Um, Rebel Kane 78, are we being priced out of the NIL market by other programs going big game hunting for five stars? I mean, I, I don't, I don't think I'd so. Push back on that. Yeah, I, I don't think so. I mean, I think, I mean, you just kind of view the numbers that have sort of been thrown around and, you know, you see the success of players that currently on the roster and, you know, I think even honestly what they've been able to do with the transfer portal. I mean, I think the transfer portal, I think we've seen now kind of comes down to, I mean, I think people are starting to recognize that there's value in transferring. I mean, we're seeing it with Jordan Addison who decided to explore. I mean, you're seeing the rounds that Zay flowers is making saying that he got offered, you know, $600,000 to, to transfer to an unnamed school. And, um, 
<laughs> I tried to hold that one in, but um, uh, gosh, I'm the worst. Um, so, I mean, I think that Miami's in a position where they could definitely be at, you know, the forefront of this NIL stuff. It just depends on, you know, I mean, again, the high school recruiting, I think it's, I think that is still kind of maybe, I think that's still interesting just because I'm not really sure. Again, I mean, I, I know it's going to be a factor, but like, I feel like we've seen it be more yeah. of a factor with transfer stuff. Maybe with quarterbacks. I mean, I don't None think Miami's this... going to get priced out or anything like right. that. Right. Like, if anything, I feel like Miami's in the mix uh, from an NIL perspective on all this sure. stuff. Right. So, to me, again, I already said this, but there just needs to be some proof of concept with these five stars. Right. You like, we know Miami can be great, Miami can be elite. But to, to these high school recruits, they kind of got to see a little bit of it. They need, they need to see it on the field a little bit. Miami's a new kid on the block. So, um, you know, remember, the, who, who are they going head-to-head with, you know, for these five stars? Uh, Texas A&M, Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State. Like, Miami is trying to crash this party, so to speak, right? So, um, I think it starts small. I think it starts with if they can nab two, maybe three, five stars in this class, that's a really good haul. I think they can get that done. Um, but it takes, it takes a little patience and yeah, I, I, I don't think it's NIL, the NIL market pricing them out at all. Like you look at other programs. I do think that's like, I think that's happening for Florida state, quite frankly. I don't think that's happening for Miami right now. Um, next question. Kane's chief. Who do you think is the next recruit to jump in the class based on today's gut feeling? Our favorite question. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so I would just throw out, like, I don't know, like there's yeah. no one imminent, right? Like there's no one that we have like an, an article in the admin lined up. Like we know he's committing on this day. Right. But Again, we've already said this, but we feel good about Jalen Brown, the wide receiver. We feel good about Ruben Bain, the edge rush, edge rusher at a Miami Central. Um, you know, the quarterback, quarterback visiting what Emory Williams. Yeah. Um, that could that could heat up in a hurry, but we're not there yet. Like we don't know what's what the situation's going to be there until he visits this weekend. So. Anything to add there? Yeah, I mean, I, I think even like uh, just another name I'd probably throw out there, which is again a blue chip name, like a Jackson Howard type. I think he's someone that Miami I think feels pretty yeah. good about right now. That's an out of state blue chip guy, um, LSU in the mix, Minnesota in there as well, and um, you know, see, I, I, he's someone that I might put in that category of just like maybe next to to hop on board. Sure. Eight one three Kane Squat asks, would a class of Jalen Brown Robbie Washington, Ray Ray, who is Nathaniel Joseph, correct? Yeah. Uh, and Lamar Seymour be the expectation at wide receiver. Don't we need a big body guy? If so, who do you think are the options? Yeah, I mean, I think a big body guy would be ideal. Um, I think, correct. That, again, I mean, you're sort but of that looking. That class is good. That class is solid. That class is very it's solid. It's better than solid. It's yeah, yeah. good. I mean, I, I think if you're able to get a combination of Jalen Brown, Robbie Washington, and um, and Nathaniel Joseph, I mean, I think you got to be That's feeling really, really good. good about that. Lamar Seymour is someone that I mean, 
I, I'm, I don't I, I think he's good. I think he's a good player. You know, I think Lamar Seymour, when you he's see him run enough. around, yeah, I think he's good enough and he's solid. And, yeah. you know, I, I don't know what he ends up being when it's all said and done, but he's not someone that you just like turn away either. You know, I think that right. he's a, I think he's an interesting enough guy. And I think the, the fact that he's been committed to for so long is something that Miami respects and definitely appreciates. So, I mean, I think it's a really good class, man. Again, I think Nathaniel Joseph is, is electric. I mean, Robbie Washington is that same type of dude that, you know, when you put the ball in his hands, he makes plays. Jalen Brown is sort of that vertical threat. Maybe he's not the six, three type, but he's a, you know, six foot one, maybe push potentially pushing six foot two when he's finished growing and uh, you know, has that sub 21, 200 meter speed, that 10, six hundred meter speed. speed. Yeah, the yak ability of that wide receiver class would be fun yeah. to watch. Oh, for uh, sure. But yes, and I, I mean, and I think I, that's something that the roster is missing now. Yeah, definitely. I do prefer, and I'm not like we're talking like a perfect wide receiver class, right? Like yeah. if you have those three guys, and then you add a high key Williams, like that's perfect. Elite. Yeah, that's yeah, like, yeah, elite. like that's, that's like the, the best, best you could ask for you guys. Right. For. So, yeah, I mean, I prefer to have some body types, but if you're Here's maybe this is what the question is asking, right? Would you rather have Jalen Brown, Robbie Washington, and Ray Ray? Um, or would you rather have a Jalen Brown, Robbie Washington, and a six foot four guy that can't create separation? Right. Like give me the give me the short, quick guys that can create separation. For sure. And I feel That's like where you- I stand at least. Yeah. And I feel like you're even watching like the draft now and it's like, you're seeing like these types of guys are, are starting to get drafted. Like maybe the guys that aren't six, three and all that type of stuff. You definitely see some of them, you know, you have like the Drake yeah. London's and, and those types of guys, but you're also seeing like the Jameson Williams. You're also seeing like the sky Moors. You're seeing like those types of guys. Garrett, Garrett Wilson is five eleven. you know, like those types of guys get drafted too. And maybe Nathaniel Joseph and, and Robbie Washington are a little bit smaller than that, but it's those guys that just create separation, make plays. And then, you know, those yards after catch, which are super important. So, you know, I think those are all, I think those are all like, you know, winning type wideouts. And maybe you can make up for, you know, look, tight ends, of course, Miami doesn't have an issue recruiting elite right. tight ends. Right. And so you want those big bodied pass catchers. Maybe you could spin it like, Oh, they have a great, tight end in this class that's a pass catching threat riley williams right who's six foot six um if miami ends up landing him in this class so um i do prefer diversity in the wide receiver room in terms of body types but i would not turn away guys like that because those guys those three guys to me are special um i would not turn them away because they're not six four right give me special, especially at the college level. Yeah. And then like, just in terms of those big options, let's say you wanted like one of those big body guys, Hakeem Williams, obviously probably the top, the top guy. And uh, someone they offered now during the spring evaluation period, Nathan Leacock out of rally, North Carolina, six foot three, 200 pounds recently went sub 11 in the hundred meter. I think it was like 10, nine, eight. So another big bodied, you know, potential outside guy that seems to that his name seems to be circulating a little bit now with, you know, schools like Michigan, uh, Mississippi state uh, just offered as well. I know North Carolina just kind of got into the mix last month as well. So uh, a name that's definitely starting to circle around a little bit, Tennessee got him on campus recently. So um, could be potentially uh, another big body to, to sort of, you know, keep an eye on. Kane's chief asks your low key player for offense and defense. You expect to have a big season, not Tyler Van Dyke, not Harvey. So this is like, I don't know how to interpret this question, right? Cause like, 
what how do we how do we define low key right because we we write for a website where the super fans read us and they know everything about the team right so what is low key for a super fan uh, maybe just not one of like the big, big, big names, like the names that maybe we would expect to say like, Oh, maybe like, I would say probably like James Williams, Akeem Mesador, Jafari Harvey. I mean, maybe Akeem Mesador is not like an, right. Obviously. That's you what I don't team. like to the average fan. The average fan doesn't know who like, I don't know. Jacoby George is. Yeah. If we're being honest, my guy um, on defense would have been like camp kitchens. And I don't even know if that's low key. Cause he started a bunch of games last year, but, but he was a freshman. Yeah. You can use that, but let's go with offense, right? Who do you got on offense? I don't know. Like, I guess I, I feel like my low key guys, like maybe like Elijah Royo, but like I don't need like I don't know. To me, that's not like super low key. But he was someone that like just kind of like but maybe probably I to the of, average fan, he is. Yeah, know? that's what I'm saying. That, I mean, I would probably say Elijah Royo. I mean, that sounds okay. like I'm, I feel like he's someone that could that's going to have like that emergence sort of year that you know I don't know. I feel I still feel like that's cheating. Like you're wrong saying that, but I don't know. I went and I don't, I'm not like pounding the table for this, but I'm going to go Brashard Smith. Okay. I think, I think he's the type of player that Josh Gaddis can be creative with and use effectively. If Brashard can just raise the consistently C level, which he did, I think during the course of the spring, right. If he can just continue that, um, you know, just, effort level a little bit yeah. in practice just like have a little have a little more dog to you yeah. out at practice a little bit i could see him i don't know like i don't know about big season but you know having a nice year i'll leave it at that for sure i i mean so i was talking to nathaniel joseph last week when i was gonna go visit him at school and he was saying i feel i feel like maybe they're not like i mean i guess comparable sort of type of players in terms of like size and like usage Joseph's- and all that stuff dog though yeah but he, yeah he's there's a different mentality. sort of mentality there yeah i think there's definitely a difference in mentality there not to, uh a different skill set similar skill set is similar Sorry. and you know he was just uh he was um telling me just like how josh gaddis likes to use like that jet sweep with like right. those types of receivers like i could see brashard smith being that guy yep. i know we've already seen him do do that a lot i feel like every time he got the ball last year it was in sort of those situations but if josh gaddis can draw it up better if he really likes to run it i could see him being used like you know really effective uh with that type of stuff defense are you going with cam or what's your answer? i like i like cam man i yeah, mean yeah. we're talking you're talking about earlier just I'm about like fan. turnover yeah turnovers like are lucky i mean i feel like he had a couple plays last year like he had that one pick in the end zone that well like he would have had a pick in the end zone that you know ended up hitting off his hands and all that stuff like i think he's put himself in position to make plays um you know he's just a solid lot. he doesn't yeah, make he's just a so- exactly he's a solid consistent where player would you play him I would put him in the nickel. Like I think that's a, I yeah. think that that's a good spot for him. I think he's sort of built for that sort of like big nickel I think, role. Yeah, he's a big nickel. And again, if this defense is trying to get bigger, and I think if you're starting to look like a, you know, again, you want to look bigger up front, you want to start creating that like really big boy defense. I think he's that type of body that could that could sort of work there where he's he's not afraid to tackle. I think he showed he's a willing tackler. I think he's someone you could probably depend on to make a play in the running game if you need to. They're not defenses yeah, can't pick defenses can't pick on him the way they would maybe pick on like a, a Takori couch type and how we saw that get exposed last year. I think you have to feel good about Avante and James at safety and not saying you can't rotate Cam back there because I think you can do that too. But I think that that's somewhere in the defense where you can put you can plug him in and I think he could do a lot. I am curious how they do use him because I I, he is one of the 11 best players on defense. Yeah, for so sure. 
you got to figure out how to get him on the field. I'm going to go with, and, and this is just based on how they looked in the spring compared to how they looked, how he looked in 2021. I'm going to go with Takori Couch. I thought Takori had a really nice spring. Yeah. Um, and I like the way he bounced back from a pretty rough 2021 season. So I thought he had a good spring game. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I think he could, I don't know about big season, but I think he'd be a solid, consistent player better than he was in 2021. Um, next question from Jada four seventy eight. It's early, but what percent of our class do you think is from the Tri County area? So right now, I don't count Frankie Tinalau as a Tri County area commit. Is that right. fair? Yeah, it's fair. He's not from here. Right. So five commits right now. Three of them from the Tri County. So that's sixty uh, percent, if my terrible yeah. math skills are correct. Um. I'll go, I don't know. I'll go like 30%. I think that's fair. I think it's a fair number. Cause like there's just some numbers like O-line won't happen down here. Running back, not going to happen down here. Receiver not this cycle. Yeah. yeah. Not this cycle. Um, receiver. A few, I think that could probably be the one of the most heavy on offense. You're not going to find your quarterback from down here. I think you can find a corner down here. If you yeah. get Damari Brown defensive lineman, probably just Ruben Bain. If that works out linebacker, don't see it. Um, safety don't really see it either. So right. I think 30% could be, I think if you land a good crop of wide receivers, uh, 30% could be good. I could see it being close. So if it's 25. a 20 man class, that's like what? Uh, six. I could see it being, I don't Maybe see it. Yeah. Five? I could see, I don't, I could see that. Like math. I could do like five to like eight range of guys yeah. that are from down here. Like Dayton Broward. Really? I'm not even counting Palm beach. Rattler Kane 06. If you were king for a day, King Gabby, what Oof. would be your capped price on a high school player's NIL value? Oh my gosh. The things that so, I could, the things I feel like I could say here. <laughs> so I, if I was king, I would not cap an individual player's price. The way I would go about it, and th- look, this can't happen because this type of stuff has to be collectively bargained, right? But I would. I would say to each school, each FBS school, you can, you can pay your players $10 million in, in, in NIL money. It's up to you guys to figure out how to divide it up, right? Um, and I feel like $10 million is a good number because I feel like, you know, while that might be tough for some lower-end Power 5 schools, and it's, it is going to be tough for Group of 5, um, I feel like a lot – most power five schools can hit that $10 million mark. Right. And I feel like that would help maybe spread out the talent around the country a little better, um, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, if you divide it, if, if you give each school $10 million, let's just say your school distributes that money evenly over all 85 scholarships, that's $117,000 to every player. Right. So you can yeah. do it that way. Um, if you're a school that has a stud quarterback and you want to keep him out of the transfer portal or whatever, just reward him for being a stud. You can give him more money, go for it. You know, give him a bigger slice of that pie, that $10 million pie. Uh, if you want to play with fire and give some unproven recruits, a ton of that money, go for it, have fun with those headaches. 
if you, you know, I just feel like that's how I would go about handling it. But again, that would, that probably wouldn't stand up in court. Uh, it would have to be collectively <laughs> bargained, et cetera, et cetera. But that's, that's what you're I King would. David, there is no court. You're, you're the right. law. You are the law. You're what sitting you on the game of idea, thrones. Though? I mean, I don't hate it. I mean, I think that I, I mean, again, if this is where we're going, like, I mean, I just think like, again, all these major money sports, I mean, college football makes as much money as any of these other major sports. Um, you know, I think having a sat like some sort of salary cap or one of those right. types of things, I don't should think it's regulated should, somehow. It has to be. It can't be. It also can't be like baseball where the Yankees are paying yeah. their team collectively $350 million. And you have the Marlins who are paying their entire team, like $14 million or whatever it is. Like, you know, it, it can't be like, it can't be like that either where it's just like, all right, so whoever has the most money and maybe that's how it is. And maybe that's how it's going to be. And that's just the way we'll it's going to go. But I'm just saying like, if you're in a situation where you can, you know, let's say you, you can make it happen where there is a sort of set system where it's still, the players are still being compensated and shoot. I mean, if you're talking $117,000 per player, I mean, I can't imagine anyone would be too upset about that. That's a, a large chunk of money. Um, so, I mean, I, I can get on board. I mean, I can get on board, but there's so many different opinions and uh, different ways that I feel like this NIL stuff can go that um, I just it's just going to be very interesting to watch how this how this stuff unfolds, because you can't put the toothpaste back back in the tube. And here we are. And I don't know. I don't know what this looks like, like six months from now, a year from now, if anything actually gets resolved. Does the NCAA have any power to make a decision here is no what's going to happen here? Like it's it's all just empty. Yeah, it's, it just feels like this is just going to be the wild, wild west, man. And, uh, you know, which is fine. Like, yeah, you got to get but... your money up. Right. So, yeah. Well, do you have any ideas? Do you care about like how? Because I personally don't care about what these high school players go out and get. That doesn't yeah. bother me. Um, but I do think. I do like I don't want to see it. To, and it's you could argue this is the way it's always been blah 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 i would like to somehow find a medium point where you can have nil guys get paid pretty good amount of money and it spreads out the talent a little bit better right if we have a system where four or five schools are, are hoarding all the talent because they're spending three four or five times more than you know the six, seven, eight best schools in the country are like, what are we doing? Like, that's not really what sports is about in my opinion. I don't know. Um, So I would like a system where you have a little bit of like some sort of salary cap. I don't know what that number is or what that looks like. Again, you have to collectively bargain that the NCAA schools don't want to do that. So that's not going to happen probably for a while, but, um, I think you can find a happy medium of spreading out talent and paying players. Um, so that is just a, a competitive, fun sport year in, year out. Cause I think one of the problems is, yeah, this is the way it's always been done, but it's now out in the light. And so now if fans know, like if the average fan knows now, oh man, like Texas A&M is just buying up all the best players of course they're going to go win the national championship. Why do I need to pay attention to me? That's not good for the game. Right. Right. Um, So I don't know. 
any other thoughts? No, I mean, I just, I, I do think it's important that like, it doesn't become this thing and it kind of has been and Alabama will always be good and all that type of stuff. And that's, I, I think it's different than what we're talking about. I just think there needs to, you know, I, I just think the rest of the, I think the whole sport of college football matters. I don't know. I'm a college football fan. I'm like, yeah, obviously, you know, grew up loving, you know, Miami and all that stuff, all that great stuff. But I mean, the sport in itself cannot collapse on this NIL stuff where it just becomes all the talent filters to, you know, five or six programs through even the transfer portal. And, you know, right. again, I talked about it with Jordan Addison, like if, you know, if West Virginia somehow produces a stud running back that, you know, right. Georgia doesn't just decide, hey, we're going to give you $500,000 and it's over for West Virginia, you know, and like there needs to be a way for some of these other programs to keep their best players as well. I think that's important for the sport. Definitely. Next question. Um, 808 Hurricane. My biggest worry about next season and really the future of the program is Coach Cristobal's reputation as a micromanager, especially with the offense. I know he's a great recruiter, motivator, and we have an awesome coaching staff in place. But have you guys seen anything during the spring that looks like he might try to micromanage the team? Um, I'll say this, like, I think it's early to like, I haven't necessarily seen anything on a football field right. uh, that reflects that. But I think his his recruiting intensity reflects being a micromanager. And so I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing. Do you? Because like, no, <laughs> I'm good with it. <laughs> right. Like he's. He is ridiculously intense when it comes to recruiting and he micromanages everyone in the building when it comes to recruiting. I, I personally think that's a good thing. Um, but yeah, I, I do think there's something to that being his reputation. I don't know if we'll see that on a football field till the season. Um, but look, I don't, you know, I don't know if it's necessarily a bad thing. Like, Every coach has his, has his flaw. Um, I would argue like Nick Saban is a micromanager. I would argue Kirby Smart is a micromanager. Jimbo Fisher is a micromanager. Um, that's kind of the mold, kind of the type of leader, the type of program builder that Mario Cristobal is going to be at Miami. Um, you know, these are, these are serious football people. Like, they eat, sleep, live football. Like being the leader of this football program is fun for Mario Cristobal. So yeah, he does micromanage everything. Um, but do I think that's necessarily a bad thing? Yeah, maybe it could be in some spots, but overall, I don't think it's a bad thing. I, you know, there's many different ways to lead. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, Give me, give me Mario Cristobal and his micromanaging style over what Miami's had the past 15 years all day long. I think something else was just like the micromanaging is just like, you have to understand the person who's going to be here at Miami longest out of anyone that's here currently is going to be Mario Cristobal. So there's a way that he wants to do things. And yeah, you know, the, 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 the people that are on staff are not going to be at Miami for the next you could also- 10 years. So you could call it micromanaging. You could also say holding people accountable. Right. And I think just establishing his identity for the program too, because like there, there is a way he wants to see it done. And you know, the way that he envisions the future over the next five years is not the same. And I'm not saying for any in particular that someone's going to leave or whatever, but it's not the same way that like Charlie strong views the program because this is Mario Cristobal's program. 
And Charlie Strong yeah. obviously buys in, but it's not like Charlie Strong is going to be the linebacker coach at Miami for the next for the entirety of Mario Cristobal's tenure. No so, yeah. so I think that's why when you have to micromanage a program, it's because you are the one he's responsible for the program. Whatever happens to to Miami yeah. reflects on Mario Cristobal. So I think in a way those guys have to be my, micromanagers because it is theirs. Like it is, it is. It has to be their way. It has to be their identity. It has to be their culture. And I feel like what everyone else in the program does has to reflect Mario Cristobal's vision because that's the only way that you could actually build the program to be yours. If you let everyone just do their own thing, then it becomes Josh Gaddis's offense and it becomes this and all it has to, it has to be Mario Cristobal at the end of the day. One of the toughest, and I, I think it was fair. One of the toughest criticisms of Manny Diaz was that his program lacked accountability, right? So if you're going complete opposite of that, that's going to be Mario Cristobal, right? He's going to be highly involved. Some would say micromanaging every little thing. So it's up to you. If you feel like that's a bad thing, I don't right. necessarily think, like, look, yeah, it would. It's not fun to work for someone like that. Like, I get that. Um, but in terms of delivering results and delivering success, I think I don't think it's going to be a bad thing, um, in a big picture sense. Last one, Gabby. We made it. I think my voice is ready to go, but I think I got <laughs> one more. MJC Miami asks. What is the biggest reason for optimism for this recruiting class? What makes this class a success versus a failure in your eyes? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I guess just to me, one of the brightest reasons for optimism is just that Mario Cristobal is yeah, is it. doing is who he is. And again, I mean, just talk. We literally just talked about the micromanaging. I mean, he is super meticulous in how he personally attacks this recruiting operation. Um, the way that he sort of attacks it embraces recruiting um, it's coming from the head coach. And I mean, I think he has a proven track record of success uh, from Alabama, from Oregon and, you know, just what history says. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's exactly. interesting how the narrative now is like, are we worried about Miami's recruiting class? Right. And I get it. It's may, there's nothing else to talk about. Miami's ranked what 27th in the rankings, which in the recruiting rankings, which, you know, isn't good enough, but it's May. But, like, we already forget what he did in eight weeks when he yeah. took the job, right? Like, right. the morning of early signing day, Miami ranked, like, 75th or something. Like, they were Wild. in the 70s. And in eight weeks, Miami climbed up to number 16 with only 14 guys signing, right? He flipped Julio Skinner from Bama. Cyrus Moss visited what? 12 hours. Like he was barely yeah. at Miami and he committed signed. Nigel Kelly was not coming to Miami uh, before Mario Cristobal was hired. Trevante citizen wasn't really a target until what? Like January. I don't know. That's, that's a really big one. Like hindsight, like that's huge. Right. How that happens. So let's not forget like recruiting is what Mario does. Like, I don't know. Like it's, it's weird to say, cause like, I really care about recruiting. Obviously everyone who listens to this podcast knows that, but like, I ain't, I'm not sweating it at all because Mario Cristobal is a head coach. I don't know. Yeah. And that, that's kind of where I am. I mean, again, what, what he's, again, what he's done here is just, it speaks for itself. And then just everything that Mario Cristobal's proven throughout his career is that he's a big time recruiter. So yeah, I mean, I think him just being here is, is is my biggest reason for optimism long way and to go. why yeah exactly and there's still so much time and i feel like we i feel like we see that and then quickly forget it because we yeah. get to like 
the we're, we're getting close to signing national signing day or the early signing day in December. And it's just like, Oh, it's here. It's grind time. And we saw him get it done. We saw him actually yeah. do it. And then we get closer to the, the traditional signing day. Yeah. You miss on Shamar Stewart. Sure. I mean, it is what it is, but you still, you land Trevante. They were Citizen. right there though. They, they were, they were right, right there. And Shamar. they clawed their way all the way back yeah. in there. Cause Miami was not at, in this as much as maybe some might thought, might've thought or like, you know, November before Mario Cristobal arrived. No, right. I, I would have given they Miami a zero percent chance. It, it wasn't yeah. happening, and it literally came down to the end. You know, yeah, like you know, he's obviously picked Texas A&M, all that stuff. But Mario Cristobal gave him as good of a chance as they were ever going to have. So, I mean, I think as we get closer to that time, I think Mario Cristobal has already proven to Miami how he can finish out a recruiting class and what he can do when it's time to go in recruiting. When it's when it's just when it's time to really for, when it matters, he's going to get it done. And you know, I think yes, it's May right now and it's slow right now, but I think when we start i think he will remind everyone again yeah. that he is mario cristobal and in he is june, the recruiter june's a big recruiting month nowadays yeah like with the visits and all that so there's going to be a lot more twists and turns again recruiting is a marathon a uh, long ways ago yeah. i also think too it's worth highlighting gabby in terms of optimism you know miami has a generous person in john ruiz and life wallet who are keeping them in the mix with nil yeah it's a big deal nowadays uh, Mario Cristobal has put together his all-star staff. Uh, that's a big deal. I think Dan Radakevich is a stud AD right. that will give Mario whatever he wants to sell the vision of his program. And I think, I think facilities are on the way. That's a big part of recruiting. Um, you know, again, we keep saying this, but recruiting rankings don't matter in May. We know this as Miami fans, right? Um, so yeah, Mario Cristobal is your head coach. That's the reason to be optimistic in recruiting. Um, and to me, in terms of like, uh, I, I would also throw this out there too, right? Like you talked about his recruiting success at uh, Oregon. I maintain this while we were getting doubt that Miami could pull Mario from Oregon, but I still think it's very true. It is harder to recruit at Oregon than it is at Miami. Um, so he, he landed top 10 classes at Oregon. I don't think it's going to be an issue doing it at Miami. Um, so patience is required. Success, sure. to me, success is a top 10 class. Yeah. Failure, anything outside of the top 15. Yeah, that would be, that would be outside of the top 15, I would be very surprised. I would too. I don't think, I don't expect that to happen, but that would be a failure, right? Like yeah. anything 15 to 11 is just like, okay, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. All right. 15 to 11 would just tell me that maybe average season and you still kind of figured yeah. it out somehow. Eight and four or something. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's wrap it up there. Appreciate everyone listening. Uh, as always, your support means so much to us, especially in these off season months when things are relatively slow. Um, but again, thank you for listening. Hopefully you enjoyed this podcast. Gabby and I always like doing it. And uh, till next time, take care.